So my middle son, Crosby, is uh, a soccer star. He's four years old, and he's in his first season. Well, second, I don't know how it works. He has a fall season and a spring session. What is that, Mike? Is that one season or one season? He's in the second half of his first season, and he's, uh, so he's four years old, and he's on this team with Megan Klepser. Mike is his coach. I'm his assistant coach, all right? Right? <laughs> yeah, he has no chance of making it in soccer. So, <laughs> so <laughs> the first half of the season, right, he was so timid out there. Uh, you, you see him here, he's running around, he is bold, he is kind of vivacious, all that stuff. But on the soccer field, he was so timid. And he, he did not ever want to get more than like three feet away from me. He'd always come back like in my orbit, right, while I'm out there as, as his coach. And, um, but then near the end of that, that, spirit, that fall session, something clicked for him. And what made it click was Crosby got a goal. Now this is very exciting. Very exciting. Now, not a lot of, our team doesn't really score a whole lot of goals. <laughs> I, I don't think that's any of our faults. It's just some of these other teams, man. <laughs> Woo! It's their fault. But uh, Mike and I are expert at herding cats, if any of you need that skill set. Anyway, Crosby got a goal. And in this game, he got that goal, and something just clicked. Because what happened then, and after he got that goal in that same game, it was a different Crosby. He was like aggressive, man. He's throwing elbows. He's throwing kids down. He's not. But he was going after that ball. He wasn't right in my orbit. He got another goal. This was thrilling. And get this. We had all winter, long winter, and he was back at his first game again yesterday. He didn't score any goals or throw any kids down or anything like that, but he was hardly by my side. He was going after the ball. He was running after all that stuff you hoped for. You could tell for him, the goal was that thing that made it all click. There was the before, there was the after, and something somehow had transformed in this blossoming soccer star. He's my soccer star. And of course, we're talking about our own transformations as we look at others' transformations in the Bible. But we're talking about not just something like, like kids' soccer. We're talking about our, our entire life, right? And so I want to ask you a question. Who were you before Jesus? Not because you existed before Jesus, nothing like that. But before Jesus entered your life, before you finally said yes to the one who had been chasing after you, your entire being, who were you? before that moment. I have some questions or some, some, some statements that maybe you'll resonate with, maybe one or all of these. Before Jesus, I had no hope. Before I was searching for answers. Before I had no direction. Before I was empty. Before I was angry. Before I was lost before I felt worthless, before I was cynical, before I was blank, fill in the blank. Who were you before Jesus? Well, today we have someone who now in the world's eyes, looking at this individual, was doing great. Highly respected leader, 
uh, well-known teacher in many ways. He appeared to have it all figured out aside from that one thing that was gnawing at him. That one key desire of his heart was missing. And without that, he was very much living in the dark. Today, in our third week of before and after, we are looking at Nicodemus, who I'd say is the skeptical seeker. So to learn about his before and after, let's turn to God's true word, John chapter 3 today. We're going to start with verse 1, and we'll go through 18, and then we'll have a couple other pit stops along the way. But John chapter 3 is where we are now. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles along with me, or you can look upon the screen as well. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now there was a Pharisee. A man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, I know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Well, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asks. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, We speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Thank God for the reading of his true word. There's so much in there, isn't there? And so much goodness in there. Hey, John 3.16. Huh? Wrestling fans around the world rejoice. Because it's the one verse they know. Because people hold up signs. Anybody? 
No? Wrestling? It's a thing they do. They do it at football games too. Just go to a football game, you'll see it. Or uh, listen to the excuses to not go to a football game like Pastor Curry pulled out. That was great last week. That whole message was great. Sorry. Back to the verses at hand. We're focusing on Nicodemus today. This guy is fascinating to me. Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. We've read so much about the Pharisees. If you journeyed through the book of Mark with us, you heard a lot about the Pharisees and none of it good, basically. Pharisees, as we know, they're a strict religious sect of Judaism. And, and Nicodemus, is he's high up. He's high up because he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. That's also known as the Sanhedrin, the ones who eventually turned over Jesus to Pilate for him to be executed. Nicodemus is clearly a highly educated man. He would be an upper-class man. He would be considered a distinguished teacher. Even Jesus himself in this passage refers to him as Israel's teacher. That'd be like if you called me like Kalamazoo's teacher, Michigan's teacher. I'd say, no, that's not me. That's Pastor Curry. A distinguished teacher. In the Jewish world order, this man was very high up. Jesus and the Pharisees we know had a very tenuous, at best, relationship, which grew toward very aggressive and a, a very unhealthy, very bad relationship. But Nicodemus was not so hardened. He approaches Jesus here, and, and he recognizes Jesus' teachings and miracles to be so significant that Jesus must come from God in some way. See, that you would hope would be the posture of all the Pharisees, but we learn it's actually the exception. Nicodemus here is the exception. It doesn't seem significant to us, but, but look at it in light of the other Pharisees we read about. Elsewhere in this very gospel, for instance, the Pharisees refer to Jesus as an unlearned man in 7 verse 15. The way they say that is basically to shove it in his face. You are uneducated. This, this unlearned man... But Nicodemus calls him rabbi. Rabbi is the same title people call Nicodemus. He's putting him, he's honoring him on the same level that he's already honored at. He's calling him rabbi. Now the Pharisees dismiss Jesus' miracles and assign his work even to the power of Satan. You can read about that in chapter 8. But Nicodemus and Dad was captivated by the miracles and attributed them to God. As we know from all the Gospels, the Pharisees, their hearts are being hardened, whereas Nicodemus's heart is not. He, 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 he remains open. He is seeking. He is, he is longing to understand. And so he claims that because of these miracles, Jesus comes from God. And this is amazing. It's clear he's open to Jesus, more open than the other Pharisees we read about. But at the same time, he's not all the way there yet, is he? Because he claims that you must be from God, the things that you are doing, but he's still clearly in the dark because he says God is with him, not that he is God. He claims God has worked through him, but he doesn't call him yet a prophet, let alone the long-awaited and promised prophet, Messiah, that had long been promised. He's intrigued by Jesus, but he doesn't know 
Jesus. It reminds me of like when you hear about a thing and how different that is from experiencing the thing. You know what I'm talking about? I could tell you how incredible the food at Chin Chin is and tell you to get the Kung Pao chicken. But until you go and experience it for yourself, you'll be like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And then you'll go and you'll taste it and you'll taste and see that the Kung Pao is good. Really good. Or remember that like five-year stretch where like everybody told you you had to go see Hamilton? Do you remember this? I was so annoyed at that. You got to go see Hamilton. Basically, they were telling me, you got to travel to Chicago and spend at least $500 to see a show, right? But people loved it. And until you experience it, you just won't get it, and you're going to miss out. That's what this reminds me of. Nicodemus had heard of these amazing things going on. Instead of questioning them, like I do with Hamilton, still haven't seen it. It's on Disney+, Plus. still haven't seen it. He goes. He approaches Jesus. I want to see what this is all about. I want to experience this, not just hear about it. He had a growing interest that he sought him out, and he stands before Jesus. He says, you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And then he stops speaking, and he waits. Did you notice he didn't ask a question? He just makes a statement and he, he waits. He didn't ask a question directly, but there are so many questions hidden within his statement, aren't there? Essentially, I, I, I thought he, he might be asking, who are you? Who are you that can do these things? How can you do these things? Now, I dare not speak it. I dare not come close to believing it yet. But could you possibly be? a prophet. Could you possibly be, dare I say, the Messiah? And then Jesus replies, and he gives a very confusing answer. (laughs) Jesus, why? He wants us to think. He wants us to wrestle. He wants us to chew on his truth. And so they go back and forth, back and forth, and and a a, a kind of a simple summary of these complex truths is that Jesus is kind of saying, hey, you have seen the kingdom break through. You've heard of these miracles. You know all this is going on, but you can't truly see it and understand it until you belong to it. To answer the question imprinted on your heart, you must see me and believe in me. See, Jesus speaks of kingdom things. Nicodemus of earthly things, and you can't answer kingdom questions with earthly answers. Essentially, Jesus is saying, you have questions, you have rational questions, but I promise you, to believe is to not know fully. It's more than intellectual agreement to believe that I am God, and that I am God. To believe, it's to trust me. To surrender, to have confidence in me that I alone can save you. Before Jesus, Nicodemus had questions. Nicodemus had doubts. He stands in that growing gap of his closest peers, the Pharisees, as their hearts are hardening, and his own wonder at Jesus and what Jesus does. But he doesn't just have questions and doubts. He also has fear. 
fear, you might say. Someone say, fear? Fear? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Fear. Yeah, notice when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he came at night. He came at night. Now, you, you could say that's no big deal. Maybe he was just really busy doing rabbi things, right? And he couldn't come until the night. Or maybe Nicodemus was a night owl. Or maybe Nicodemus had a long consistory meeting. <laughs> Those don't ever happen. <laughs> but considering this entire gospel according to John, when we look at each instance of when John mentions night or darkness, it is used to represent moral and spiritual darkness. It would be very odd if this important detail was mentioned just by happenstance, when every other mention seems to have significant significance. Night or darkness in this gospel is used to display the darkness of life outside of Christ. We just sang, in the darkness we were waiting, without hope, without light. And then we think back, we tie it even to the very first recorded words of God, let there be light. We wake up in the middle of the night, of darkest night, and what is our first longing but to seek the light? John 1 begins by telling us that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. So in his own darkness, which is blacker than he could ever fathom, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in darkest night, for he was afraid. He was lost. He was seeking. He was afraid what his peers would think if they knew he had this growing wonder within him. And yet something about Jesus captivated him so much he still came. In his own darkness, he approaches Jesus And even in the darkest of night, he's stepping into the light. To be a living example of what John goes on to say right after our passage. And and it's his, his ongoing summary of the gospel. We pick up from verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, but will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And here lies the beauty. Nicodemus had questions. He had doubts. He had fears, but he stepped forward anyway. He, what we find is that, what he found is that in the darkness of light, night, he was captivated by the transforming light of the world. And this is what's so fascinating about Nicodemus. We don't hear from him again until John chapter 7. But something clearly has changed. Because you experience the light, you will be changed. See, the Pharisees, by the time we get to John chapter 7, their hatred for Jesus has grown significantly. Their hardening hearts are fully hardened 
now. And, and it's grown to the point where they've already tried and failed to capture him and kill him. But just as their hatred has grown, Jesus's fame has grown, and Nicodemus's love for Jesus has grown. So as the crowds are proclaiming Jesus as the long-awaited prophet and Messiah, and the Pharisees are attempting to arrest him, Nicodemus speaks up in defense of Jesus against his bloodthirsty peers. And this is what it says in uh, chapter 7, verse 50 to 52. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Think about what he is saying around what he is saying there for a minute. Hey, if you truly knew what he was doing, if you were open to seeing what's actually happening, like I have, you wouldn't hate him, but you believe in him. So he says this, and they reply, Oh, are you from Galilee too? In other words, are you associated with this Jesus? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. It's a whole thing there. We're staying focused in on Nicodemus, who was a skeptical seeker of Jesus, who is now a follower of Jesus. Something shifted, something transformed. See, he's come to believe in him, and, and here his boldness is growing. He's no longer in the darkness of night, but around the loud voices of Jesus' enemies, he speaks up, and he supports Jesus here. But notice, his boldness only goes so far. He defends Jesus, but it's only indirectly. Sometimes we think we give our life to Jesus, and it is like flipping a switch. And in, in the ways that mostly matter, as in death to life and salvation secured, all that, it, it is. It's the work of God in our lives. But in our own transformation, we think just like that, everything's better. It's not. It's a process. It's a lifelong journey of faith. But by the grace of God and the power of his Holy Spirit, he transforms us continually. And we see his work here in Nicodemus. But what else do we see? That the cross solidifies his boldness. We see Nicodemus only one more time in Scripture. And it's right here in John chapter 19. And it's after Jesus, who so loved him, died for him. Picking up from verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph this will sound similar, was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came, he took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, which is a lot, by the way. No longer afraid, but fully captivated by his Savior. He joins in with Joseph. He approaches Pilate. He, he prepares Jesus' body for burial. Surely all would know of his belief and his devotion to Jesus now. And guess what? You would say, well, Jesus is dead, so the danger is over. No, the danger was at its highest. 
That's why the disciples were hiding under lock and key. And in that space, Nicodemus steps boldly out in his faith. His love for his Savior supersedes any fear or doubt or question in his mind. He stepped out of that darkness and into the light. So as we prepare to take this home, what we learn from Nicodemus, we learn a lot from Nicodemus, a focus area we learn from him is to bring your questions and your doubts to Jesus. Nicodemus had some serious questions. He had doubts, and yeah, he had fears, but, but if you think of it, we're all kind of curious about Jesus. People who don't know Jesus at all or who hate Christianity still are kind of intrigued by what they hear of Jesus. We have questions. We have, we have doubts. Sometimes we keep our distance, but instead of that, allow your questions and your doubts to propel you toward Jesus. Some may say there's a fear in following Jesus because there's a risk in following Jesus because there are high stakes in following Jesus. Yes, but Jesus died for you. He paid the ultimate cost so we can pay the small cost comparatively that we have to endure here until he makes all things right once more. So as we stand here in the, in the already and not yet of the kingdom, may we bring our questions and our doubts to Jesus. But not just our questions and our doubts, but anything that you are experiencing. I started with that list at the beginning, remember? Of who you were before Jesus. That's a list of the darkness we were all standing in. Jesus is the answer to all of that. Even after giving him our lives, we will still at times buy into the lie of hopelessness or of sinful anger, or like Nicodemus, the, the fear of what others might think or what might happen if we take a stand for Christ. So what do we do with all of that? We do what we did the first time. We bring it to Jesus. We step out of the darkness and into glorious light. Bring your everything to Jesus, who gave his everything for you. Bring your questions. Bring your doubts. Bring your fears. Bring your sadness. Bring your heartache to the very capable hands of the Savior who loves you. Why? Because he loves you so much. He sent his only begotten son for you to die for giving himself completely so that you might have everlasting and abundant life. Jesus sees you in your sadness. He sees you in your anger. He sees you in your questions, in your hurt, in your doubts, in your darkness. And he came not to condemn you to them, but to save you from them. If you believe in Jesus, you are not condemned, but you stand in his glorious and transforming light. So may all of us here, as we stand in the after, live in his glorious light. And not just live in his glorious light, but shine his glorious light for all to see. That is our prayer today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me?
Great God, we give you all thanks, honor, glory, and praise again this day. For you have pulled us out of darkness into light. You have saved us from death, and you are currently at work even now, transforming us by the power of your Spirit to be your light shiners and light bringers into this dark and hurting world. We thank you, Lord, that we can look back and see the work of, of your good news in Nicodemus and that we can see ourselves even in that transformative story. So God, as we stand here prepared to, to go into whatever you have for us this week, we pray that we will take our first step into the light again to seek and serve you, to love and live and lead like you. God, whatever it is that is holding us back, Lord, we pray by the power of your Spirit, you would illuminate as only you can that next step back toward you today. We thank you that in you is light and is the life of all humankind and that we get to enjoy our salvation not just when we pass, but right here and now. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you're doing, what you've always done, and in, for inviting us in to be a living and active part of it until you return to make all things right once and for all. We are your servants. We love you. We pray this all in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>